Greetings, everyone, and welcome to any guests that we have here today. Just a few weeks ago, my wife and I enjoyed being with the brethren in Radlett, England, and then uh, in Zurich, Switzerland, and then after that with our brethren in Drahada, the Republic of Ireland. So I hope that all of you have an opportunity someday to see the glorious millennial-like landscape of Switzerland and Ireland. It was just absolutely glorious. Uh, of course, human nature is another problem, but the land certainly was glorious and beautiful. Hope you all have a chance to get there. I hope you realize just how important we are. When I think of God's people around the world, they are the salt of the earth. And you must understand, and I hope you do understand, just how important God's people are. If it were not for God's people, what would happen? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24:22, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, what? For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The elect's sake. But we thank God for the elect. Planet Earth is going to survive. Christ will return, and he's going to rule all the nations. We will help him, and we will educate, and we will re-educate the nations to the true way of life. We thank God for the British in this recent trial uh, terrorist effort, and because of the apparent help of, the Pakistan, of Pakistan, uh, they uncovered a sophisticated terrorist plot, as you know, to destroy possibly 10 American planes flying from London to the United States. Thousands of men, women, and children could have been killed. So we thank God for that intervention. We see wars around the world. We see disease. We see typhoons, um, coordinated bombing attacks in uh, India and Sri Lanka, other places around the world. So how are we going to survive in the days ahead? The world is deceived and it's confused. Is there any truth in the world? We heard in the sermonette, Isaiah 59, 4. No one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. Mr. Davis also read Jeremiah 6.13. Everyone deals falsely. So where is truth in the world? There will be trials ahead, and we will face those trials. How will we face those trials? By holding on to the truth of God. So I want to ask you today, are you committed to hold on to God's truth and not compromise. Let's turn to Revelation, the third chapter, and it might help if I have my Bible, if uh, my lovely wife of 42 years today will be kind enough to bring my Bible. Thank you, sweetheart. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful to be married to a beautiful woman, a converted woman for 42 years. I have to be careful I don't shed too many tears. Revelation 3 and verse 11. <clears throat> you know, we uh, need the sword of the Spirit with us at all times. Revelation 3 and verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast that you have, that no man take your crown. Now, what is it that we have? We have God's truth. We have God's church, we have the Word of God, the Bible. Hold fast that you have that no man will take your crown. 
Will you embrace the truth? Will you hold fast to God's truth? In the years ahead, just ahead of us, are you committed to the following questions? Live the truth. Are you committed to walk in the truth? Are you committed to obey the truth? Are you committed to speak the truth? There's a lot of lying. We heard everyone deals falsely. Are you committed to rejoice in the truth? Are you committed to actually love the truth and deeply appreciate the truth? Are you committed to worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Let's turn to Proverbs, the second chapter, Proverbs 2. How many in this world of 6.5 billion human beings understand the truth of the Bible? Now, let's just take a number out of the hat, and let's suppose, for example, that 65,000 people on the face of the earth understand the Bible. They understand fundamental truths. 65,000 people. If that were true, then that would be just one out of 100,000 people on the face of the earth who would understand the truth. Do you understand how special you are? If you understand the truth, you are one out of possibly 100,000 people who understands the truth. And I hope you come to understand the incredible blessing it is to know the truth. In uh, Ireland, Mr. Henry Cooper in his uh, sermonette a couple Sabbaths ago said, uh, we have a staggering blessing. I like the expression, a staggering blessing to know the truth and to live God's way of life. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry after knowledge and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then shall you understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of God. So God gives the truth, and truth involves wisdom, It involves understanding. It involves knowledge, true knowledge, of course. Where does it come from? Verse 6, For the Eternal gives wisdom. Out of His mouth comes knowledge and understanding, and He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. You are possibly one out of 100,000 on the face of the earth that has wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and truth. The title of the sermon is Treasure the Truth. We need to seek it as for hid treasure. But let's understand that we do not have the capability of mining or garnering truth just by our physical abilities. It is God who opens one's mind to understanding the truth. I was asked recently how I came into the truth. And uh, normally, that is the question we ask. When we ask someone who is a stranger or a guest in our congregation and has been attending for a while, we don't normally ask, how did you come into the church? We normally ask, how did you come into the truth? And that is so precious and awesome when you come to understand it. Well, to answer the question, I was uh, a young adult uh, when I was in the uh, a Protestant church back in uh, Meriden, Connecticut. And uh, <clears throat> I thought that 
I and the pastor were the only true, true Christians in the church. I thought the rest of it was a social club. They didn't ever talk about religion. They had rummage sales, cake sales, and hardly ever talked about religion. But I thought, you know, the pastor and I are the only true Christians in the church. Well, that was rather uh, uh, egotistical, I think, in one sense. But I was asked to teach eighth grade Sunday school when I started attending Yale University as a, in a graduate class. I was a little bored with the material that uh, the church provided, so I finally looked at the Plain Truth magazine that I'd been receiving for nine months and had totally ignored. I was looking for material. So what happened to be in that Plain Truth magazine? A series on the Ten Commandments by Roderick Meredith. And I started teaching that to the eighth grade Sunday school, and as I did, God began to open my mind. I finally asked my pastor, because I was interested in the book of Revelation, can you please explain the book of Revelation to me? He gave me a nondescript answer. And finally, when I received Mr. Herbert Armstrong's articles and booklets on the, the Revelation unveiled at last and the key to the book of Revelation, it all made sense. It was clear. It was plain. I can understand the book of Revelation. So I asked my pastor. I had loaned him the booklets, and I thought, oh, you know, he will really appreciate this information. He will really understand. And uh, finally, I went back to get my booklets, and, and uh, I said, what did you think about all this information? And he said, well, the book of Revelation, the, the, the booklet you have here, uh, it's interesting, but it leaves out the poetry. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Revelation talks about World War III. It talks about ultimate peace and the glory of God's kingdom coming to earth but it leaves out the poetry. Of course, what he was thinking of was the uh, symbolism, the apocalyptic uh, wording in the book of Revelation, and uh, he uh, felt that the poetry had been missed. But then I began talking with him, and, and uh, he said, well, well, why are you... I talked about the Sabbath, and I, he said, well, why are you leaving the church? And I said, well, when you find the truth, you go after it. And he said, oh, the pearl of great price. And I said, yes. I think God actually inspired him to say that. And finally, he said, well, in our discussion, you can't really believe the whole Bible. And my mouth dropped open, and I realized that the, the two true Christians in the church that I assumed were true Christians were not. And I had a lot to learn and to repent of as well. But let's turn to Matthew, this 13th chapter, because what has God given all of us? God has given us that pearl of great price. But there's a price, in a sense, to have that pearl of great price. That is Matthew 13 and verse 36. Well, let's, let's look at verse uh, 45, sorry. Matthew 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So he sold all that he had. That means, of course, in our practical life, that we give up everything that we selfishly possess, desire, and want. It means we are giving our total lives to God and to Christ. Mr. Meredith talked about that last week in terms of Luke the 14th chapter, and counting the cost. Now in verse uh, 44, he gives another parable here. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, which one, when a man has found, he hides. And for joy, therefore, goes, thereof goes, and sells all that he has, and buys that field. So how many of us have been willing to give up all of our selfish desires and go after the true treasures? How can we understand the truth? Well, God gives us the truth. He's the one who opens our minds. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. The world is ignorant of truth. It was a, uh, we know that Satan has deceived the whole world, as it brings out in Revelation 12, 9. It was a comment made on February 12, 2002, by Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld during a, a press conference. It's uh, actually a profound point, but it's expressed in a convoluted way that Rumsfeld was widely ridiculed for it. Uh, This illustrates that the world is ignorant of truth, in one way of speaking. Mr. Rumsfeld said, quote, As we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns, that is to say, We know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know, we don't know. (laughs) End of quote. (laughs) In other words, we don't know what we don't know. But God has revealed the fundamental truths to us. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 8. He talks about the mystery and the wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. In other words, true spiritual knowledge does not just come by seeing something with the physical eyes or hearing with the physical ears. There has to be another dimension that communicates and gives us that understanding. And what is that? Verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us, how? By His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. We had a Pasadena lecture on the theology of God uh, years ago, and I remember at the beginning of that uh, lecture, we had the fact combined faculties of Big Sandy in Pasadena in the lecture hall. And as the uh, lecturer began to talk about this new God is idea, he said that really you can't really understand and, and grasp God. You can't really understand these deep theological truths. And I remember Gerald Water, Waterhouse audibly speaking out loud and saying, but God has revealed them unto babes. And uh, there was a little rumble through the lecture hall. But you can read that. Uh, I won't uh, turn to it, but it's in Luke 10, 21, where Jesus has revealed. He said, God, I, I'm glad that you have kept these things from the prudent, but you have revealed them unto babes. So you don't have to be a great worldly scholar to understand the awesome truth of God and as he goes on to say, the deep things of God. You can't know the deep things of God, we were told. Well, that's not what my Bible says. It says we can be taught the deep things of God. 
For what man knows the things of the man save the spirit of man which is in him? Verse 11. Even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. There is a spirit of man in him. I remember when I was uh, taking a communications class in um, Stephen F. Austin, a graduate class, and the professor was puzzling, as many still do today. What is the human mind? It is a classic question. It's debated and researched. The, the brain research is going on, and marvelous knowledge is being discovered. But they did not know the answer. The answer of what the human mind is, is what the Bible reveals. It's the spirit of man combined with the human brain that produces human mind. And the world doesn't know that. My professors in graduate school didn't know that. But you know that. And human beings who have the spirit in man and who have the mind of a human know more than animals. Animals do not have the spirit in man and they cannot comprehend those things. But then there's another dimension, he goes on to say. Even so, the things of God, the end of verse 11, knows no man but the Spirit of God. So it is the Spirit of God that gives us the dimension, the spiritual dimension, which we need. And he goes on to say in verse 12, Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, that is, we have not taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, let's back up a moment and realize that all of us have taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we've repented of that. And now we are taking of the tree of life. And God gives us truth and understanding and wisdom and knowledge which the world cannot have. But we we do not want to partake of the spirit of the world. And we realize that is a temptation we all have. It's all about us in the media. It's all about us in the workplace. It's all about us in society. We have to resist the spirit of the world. But the Spirit which is of God, God has given us, and we have received that, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We will know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we thank God for that. Verse 14, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. No, we need God's Holy Spirit. How do we understand? God gives us that understanding. And we understand it by practicing the truth. I won't turn there, but Psalm 111, verse 10, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So as you practice the word of God, you begin to have more understanding than perhaps you think you could have had otherwise. So truth pervades and should pervade our very life. All of us who are in God's church have been taught over the years And we have, to certain degrees, been good students, or we have been uh, students who have resisted that truth. Our young people at youth camps are learning the way of life. That way of life, the way of truth, includes everything with our life. Truth can be an abstract concept. But let's understand that truth touches every minute, every second, every aspect, every dimension of our lives. What we eat, what we drink, what we Uh, where our attitudes and relations to other people, our goals, our desires, truth touches our life in every way. And the Ten Commandments, of course, give us a very clear guidance in living. And we're very thankful that our youth camps are teaching that. I just happened to be reading last night um, 
the Living Youth of God, Living Church of God Youth in Singles Camp of the Philippines. It was in uh, December 25 to December 30th, 2005. Uh, just a wonderful a summary of the camp. And there was an editorial or an essay in here by a 16-year-old from 1G, uh, Regina Starr Albalardo. And uh, her essay was titled, A Stepping Stone to God's Kingdom. Uh, she understands the need for truth. She writes, The world and its desires pass away, but the man that does the will of God lives forever, quoting the scripture. She writes, We must respond to this calling. We know the truth and must practice it in order to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a 16-year-old. She goes on to say, or write, Overcoming is a daily and a lifetime process. That's why as early as now we must train ourselves how to discern right from wrong, embrace the truth, resist temptations, and practice what is right and good until it becomes a part of our human nature. We also ought to practice self-control, diligence, persistence, drive, obedience, and faith. Well, a very good article and essay by this uh, young teenager from the Philippines. Our young people are learning truth. God gives us truth. He gives us, our youth, the truth. Just to summarize this section briefly on just uh, how God gives us truth, the great thinkers and the philosophers and scholars and scientists have traveled all over the world trying to understand the mystery of life. They've delved into great books. They've studied in monasteries. They've involved themselves in mystery religions to seek the answers. But only God can give the truth. And only God can cope, open our minds to understanding not only the basics, but the deep things of God. As Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 21, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Well, let's ask the question, a basic question, what is truth? Let's turn to John, the 18th chapter, John 18. The governor Pilate asked Jesus if he were a king, John 18 and verse 37. Jesus answered, verse 37 of John 18, You say that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Now, it reminds me of a scripture. I'm just going to, I didn't have this uh, planned, but I just take a look, hold your place. I'm going to just take a quick look here at First John uh, 5. Yes, First John um, 4, verse 6. The Apostle John is speaking here pretty boldly. And, of course, he is countering false religions, false preachers. And John is not abashed. He's, he's not ashamed of what he knows. He's pretty bold in what he says here in 1 John 4, 6. He says, we are of God. He that knows God hears us. Get that? He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John was an apostle of God. 
He knew the truth. And to discern who were false ministers, he says, those that hear me, hear God's true ministers, are of the truth. Those who don't listen to us, those who don't respond to the ministers of truth, are not of the truth. That's a pretty bold statement and probably a little difficult for people to think about in terms of applying it in this day and age. The Apostle John knew the difference between truth and error and who those individuals were who were false ministers coming in trying to wheedle their way into the church. Now back to John 18 and verse uh, 37. Uh, Jesus said, Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. That's basically what John was just saying in 1 John 4. Pilate says unto him, verse 38, What is truth? It was more of a rhetorical question. Obviously, it was a philosophical question. And he was responding to the whole matter of truth that Jesus uh, stated. When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said unto him, I find in him no fault of all, uh, at all. So Pilate couldn't understand the truth, but Jesus made it very clear that those who followed him, understood him, responded to his word, could be of the truth. Now, we all know what truth is, according to John 17, 17. Just back a page in your Bible. John 17, 17. Jesus was praying the night before his crucifixion. And he said, Sanctify them through your truth. He was praying for his disciples. Back verse 11. He said, Keep through your own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So he is saying to the Father, praying, sanctify them, set them apart, help them be holy. How? Through your truth. Your word is truth. So there should be no confusion, no doubt, no double-mindedness in any of us as to what truth is. It's very solidly based, it's very solidly from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Your word is truth. That's something that we can really enjoy and and uh, appreciate so very deeply because it gives us that sound-mindedness that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy about in 2 Timothy 1.7, that you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The world doesn't have to be, the world is confused, but we do not have to be confused. When we were in uh, Zurich, uh, I mentioned last week in the announcements, Mr. Felber was in one part of the room translating my sermon into German, and another man was translating uh, the sermon into Spanish in the other part of the room. But uh, in German, the uh, expression is, Dein Wort ist Verheit. Now, Mr. Felber shared with us a play on words in German, and he said, The religious world has the majority, but God has given us the truth. So he would say this, they, meaning the world, have the mayor height. We have the var height. So they have the majority. We have the truth. They have the mayor height. We have the var height. And of course, the Plain Truth magazine years ago was called Klar und Var, meaning clear and true. That was the Plain Truth in German. I won't turn there, but when we know that God's word is truth, it tells us in Psalm 119, verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160 in the New King James Version. Psalm 119, verse 151. 
You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. So God's commandments, His word, is truth. In the current uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, which I hope all of you have read or are in the process of reading, Mr. Meredith's article, Does the Bible Mean What It Says?, states this on page 5. Mr. Meredith is talking about his sincerity enough. He writes, The real God of the Bible tells us God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 24. What is that truth? Jesus Christ proclaimed, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. If you are actually willing to face the truth, you will see that dozens of commonly accepted, quote, Christian, end of quote, doctrines and practices are not only unbiblical, they are actually condemned by the inspired word of God. So we must worship God in spirit and in truth, and we must face the truth. Now, how would you describe truth other than John 17, 17? Perhaps you, I would challenge you to write out your own answer. And you let me know after Sabbath services. I gave that assignment to ambassador students who are in my classes, Bible classes. Uh, some of the answers were like the following. Uh, God's truth is the plan God is working out for human beings and the universe. God's truth is, to describe it, the reality of God, his love, and his purpose for human beings. So perhaps you can write out your own description of or summary of what divine truth is. Of course, it includes God's plan of salvation. We repent towards God. We repent of our sins. Uh, Daniel, the ninth chapter, uh, let's turn there. Daniel 9, verse 13. Again, this shows us how we can come to understand truth. Daniel, the ninth chapter. Judah was in captivity and Daniel was praying for his nation because Jeremiah had prophesied that that captivity would go on for 70 years. And near the end of that 70 years, Daniel began to pray. And he said in Daniel 9, and uh, starting with verse 13, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet made we not our prayers before the eternal our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So how can you understand truth? Well, turning from iniquities. Therefore has the Eternal watched upon us the evil and brought it upon us. For the Eternal our God is righteous in all the works which he does, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that have brought your people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have gotten you renowned, as this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So Daniel in his prayer, asking God's forgiveness for himself and for the nation, says that, you know, we, we didn't understand the truth because we didn't turn from our iniquities. Yet made we not our prayer, verse 13, before the eternal our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. So truth involves God's plan of salvation, repentance towards God, and faith toward Jesus Christ. Those are the two requirements for baptism and, return, and receiving God's Holy Spirit. Repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. 
And you express that faith by stepping out and being baptized, being immersed as Jesus was following his example. And the thousands that were baptized on the day of Pentecost, of course, were all immersed in water as well. So God has revealed to us his plan of salvation. But has he revealed fundamental truths, not the deep things of God, but at least fundamental the fundamental reality of God's existence to the world? Well, you know the answer to that. Yes, he has. Let's turn to Romans, the first chapter. Romans 1. Romans 1. The very creation reveals to the world, to all human beings who have eyes to see, that there is a creation and there is a creator. So in Romans, the first chapter, he says... For the, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Who's suppressing the truth? No, God is giving us the truth. We broadcast the truth. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God has revealed all of these things. There is a book that uh, I referred to uh, here recently uh, called A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. In fact, uh, we were traveling through, I don't know whether it was London Heathrow or one of the airports, and a young man standing next to me had his backpack and and he had this book was just sticking right out of his uh, backpack. And I said, oh, have you read uh, the book by Bill Bryson? He says, oh, yes, this is a great book. And I've, he's from uh, my home state, and I found it very interesting. Well, the thing about uh, Bryson is that he's apparently an evolutionist. And yet, in his book, he uses the word miracle time after time after time because he sees what has happened in life forms and in amino acids and in proteins and DNA he said, this cannot happen just by chance. I'll just give you one example. He gives the example of collagen, which has to do with the skin. It's a protein. And it consists of 1,055 amino acids. And all of those amino acids must be in the right order 1,055 times. There are 22 amino acids. He gives the analogy that if you were to go to Las Vegas and set up 90 slot machines or 1,055 slot machines and pull them one by one so that the right amino acid would come up each in those 1,055 times in order, what is the probability? He says nil, N-I-L, nothing. It's impossible. Then he goes on to say that, well, you know, amino acids uh, make up proteins, the proteins are the building blocks of life, but amino acids can't replicate themselves. How do they replicate themselves? By DNA. And how did that happen? Because for amino acids to replicate themselves, DNA and amino acids had to come into being at the exact same time. And he says, if that happened, wow. I mean, he can't explain it. No way to explain it. So these are just some of the amazing research uh, uh, facts that are coming out from time to time. And even in our old Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, when the Worldwide Church of God produced a magazine called 
uh, tomorrow's world, uh, we had an article on left-handed amino acids. In other words, those proteins, those amino acids that make up the proteins for life are all, there, there are two kinds of amino acids, left-handed and right-handed. And guess what? All of the amino acids that have to do with proteins and the living blocks or living proteins and living life are all left-handed. How can that be? By chance, there should be 50-50. But all of them are left-handed amino acids. Uh, if you'd like to see the article, uh, see me afterwards. And then, of course, there's the privileged planet by Gonzales and uh, Richards uh, that show that we are in a unique location in the universe. We are in that habitable zone, and we are the only planet of 90 planets that he's examined that have access to see the universe. So not only has God put us in a unique location where all the other planets have haze or, or fog or clouds or whatever, they from that vantage point, if you were on that planet, you cannot see the rest of the universe. The planet is unique. The Earth planet is unique in that we as human beings can do as David did in Psalm 8, look up into the heavens and ask, what is man that you are mindful of him? So God has revealed fundamental truth to all human beings. Now, God is the greatest reality. That is the truth. No, there was a test years ago, and I haven't looked into it recently, but the test for sanity was the ability for human beings to face reality. And guess how many people know the true reality of who and what God is. He has revealed himself through his glorious creation. He has revealed himself through the written word, the Bible. And he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to John, the 14th chapter, John 14. We understand the truth because we follow the example of Christ and the apostles. In John, the 14th chapter, uh, Jesus said that he uh, is coming back for us. And he says in verse 10 of uh, John 14, believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the work. So Jesus has revealed the Father, as he said in verse 9, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, Philip, show us the Father? What is truth? We find this revealed in verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You know, when I was around 12 years old, I was uh, in Sunday school, and I didn't really have a true grasp or faith of Jesus. I said, well, now, who is this man Jesus? I, I've heard about him in Sunday school, but I want to find out for myself who he is. So on my own, I began to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, so when I got to Matthew, the fifth chapter, I was amazed. I, I began to realize, here's testimony about this individual. This individual did exist. He was the Son of God. And he taught revolutionary practices and instruction. Matthew, the fifth chapter. I was reading through this 
as a boy, and when I I had been in a couple boxing matches in the process, but it uh, if I can find it uh, here. Oh yes, verse thirty-nine. And when I got to this, I was shocked. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I've been in boxing. Now, now, I mean, I've got to turn the other cheek. It was so revolutionary to me, I accepted it as a way of life in my own heart and mind, I guess hoping that I wouldn't have to actually practice it. But nonetheless, conceptually, I accepted it. A totally different kind of life I understood at age 12. Our young people can understand the simple, practical teachings of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of embracing them, accepting them, and practicing them. I hope that even our adults are practicing perhaps what is one of the more difficult truths in verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And the next verse is telling, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I know we have conflicts with people in the world, perhaps even people in the church, and we sometimes just get a grudge. But you need to take the extra step and pray for that person. Pray that God will bless that person. Now, I know there are times when someone who's extremely obnoxious and obviously carnal, and I'll pray for him. I'll say, well, God, please help, help that person to repent and change. And if you have to correct him, well, that's okay with me. You know, kind of a, I, so you pray for the person, but you ask God to bless them. And he knows how to bless carnal people. He makes his reign to fall on the just and on the, the unjust. And I'm thankful that when I was unjust, that God still blessed me with a father and mother who loved me in spite of my behaviors and uh, unconverted ways. But what is truth? God's word is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. How would you describe truth? The plan God is working out for human beings in the universe, the reality of God, His love, His purpose for human beings. And God has revealed that purpose which Mr. Meredith refers to in the telecast and his writings, appealing to the audience that to fulfill your very purpose in life. But how many people know that purpose? God revealed the truth through his word, through Christ. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote a book called The Mystery of the Ages. Now, Jesus said, babes, children, spiritually speaking, can understand. Now, if you don't know the answers, you can find them. So let me just ask you these questions quickly. You don't need to write them down. But philosophically and the truth, who and what is God? You can answer that question. The world cannot. They think God is a trinity. They're falsely, uh, they have a false belief. What purpose do angels fulfill? What and why is man? How do you explain the state of today's civilization? You go back to the two trees. What is the purpose of God, uh, God's people, Israel? What is the purpose of the church? What is the gospel and what is the kingdom of God? All of those were answered in Mr. Armstrong's book and in our literature today. 
Uh, he had his chapters, Who and What is God, onto the mystery of the kingdom of God. And after the death of Mr. Armstrong, the Worldwide News published a list of 18 restored truths given by Mr. Armstrong. That list was not exhaustive. Uh, Mr. Armstrong had sometimes mentioned additional restored truths, as he did in his December 17, 1983 sermon, such as the identity of Babylon and her daughters, Satan's role in deceiving the whole world, and the church is being called out as separate from the world. One of the basic restored truths, or number one on the list that was printed in the Worldwide News, was the government of God. We've had sermons on that. It is so extremely important to know that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will have a government in place. And of the end of his government, there, or of the peace and of his government, there shall be no end. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. You're familiar with that. I, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, made this comment about God's intervention in human government. It was June 28, 1787, in a debate at the Constitutional Convention. And Benjamin Franklin commented, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? And, of course, he was talking about the beginning of what became the United States of America. Mr. Armstrong's list included the gospel of the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, of the, the millennium, the Holy Spirit coming into us to beget us. I won't mention all of them. But we know the answer of who and what is God. He reveals himself as the creator. And he's created man in his own image. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. So he created human beings in God's form and shape, but not in his nature. And that is the process that each and every one of us is, is going through or experiencing, that we have to cooperate with God in changing from carnality to spirituality, from carnal nature to divine nature. And the whole purpose and plan of God is revealed for the annual holy days. And we understand that process. Because the days of unleavened bread teach us that we must put out the leaven of malice and wickedness and replace it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We put God's nature into us to overcome carnal nature. And every time you see God's purpose, he's creating a family. I remember, well, uh, I just, I'm intrigued when we we're going through the various airports on our European trip and uh, we see, uh, you know, a mother with three little children. How does a mother take three children on an airplane? I mean, they really are, are tremendous heroes. But you see all these little babies. And I say, what is that? that little baby there? That little baby has incredible human potential. It has the potential of being a born-again, immortalized, glorified king and priest in the kingdom of God. What an awesome purpose God is working out below. I think of the song, I Believe. You know, uh, some of us are convinced by logic. Some of us are convinced by emotion. But the song, I Believe. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. 
I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe for everyone who goes astray, someone will come to show the way. I believe, I believe. I believe about above the storm, the smallest prayer will still be heard. I believe that somewhere in the great somewhere, hears every word. Do you believe that? Every time I hear a newborn baby cry, or touch a leaf, or see the sky, then I know why I believe. Turn to Ephesians, the third chapter, and again, what is God's purpose? This is truth that the world does not understand, truth that we teach and preach, and it is so precious, it motivates us, it inspires us, to understand that we are going to be a part of God's royal family forever. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So God is the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is producing a royal family. We are His begotten children to be born into His kingdom at the resurrection. Let's turn back to James 1 and verse 17. James 1 and verse 17. I uh, even referred to this, I think, in the last sermon, but it's such a, a special verse and reveals God's truth, the deep things of God. James 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So every good gift, everything that you have, just the breath of air that you have, the clothing, the food, everything comes from the ground that God created. Of his own will, verse 18, of his own will, this is the King James I'm reading, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be kind, a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The New King James has, he brought us forth. But the more specific revelation of God is that He has begotten us later to be born into His family. And what has He begotten us with? His Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit of truth. You have been begotten with truth. The Word of truth. What an awesome privilege that is. We are special people. God has given us truth. That doesn't make us better. It gives us a greater responsibility as guardians of the truth and as ambassadors for the truth and as lights in the world. But how precious is God's truth? He gives us the answers to so many other questions I don't have time to uh, go into. Why, Why does God allow suffering? It's one of the great questions that supposedly challenges the nature and power of God. If God is all powerful, Why does he allow suffering in the world? If he is love, doesn't he have compassion to stop these evil things from happening in the world? That's one of the biggest fundamental philosophical questions that many cannot answer. The answer, of course, is in God's plan of salvation. That he gave to human beings free moral agency to choose, to choose right or to choose wrong. And it tells us in Galatians 6, one of his... In uh, immutable laws, Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. 
So when we treasure the truth, when we live God's way of life, we sow to the Spirit. We experience the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10 and verse 10. But human beings have been given the privilege of choice in order to develop righteous character. Now, we will be going through trials and suffering, and I want to just share with you one of the principles, along with the principles you've already exposed, expounded on. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 26th chapter, Isaiah 26. Because the world is going crazy, there'll be typhoons, hurricanes, tornadoes, Drought, this is affecting New Mexico now. They have the greatest drought uh, in o- over or more than 100 years. And uh, we're facing floods in other areas. And we will be challenged. Will we be able to maintain a positive and tranquil mind? How will you face the future when you are troubled? Here in uh, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 is a, one of my favorite verses of many hundreds of favorite verses. You will keep him in perfect peace. So you've got trials, whirlwinds going around around you all the time. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So when the going gets tough, your focus has got to be on Christ and on the kingdom of God and realize he is looking after you. He's going to do what's best for you. He knows what's good for you. Now, Look at the first couple verses. And this is a future song to be sung in the land of Judah. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open you the gates, Isaiah 26, verse 2. Open you the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. Are we that righteous nation who keeps the truth? I hope so. I believe so. But we will be in perfect peace if we have our minds stayed on God. And, of course, as uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So let's strive with all our hearts to keep the truth. And God has given us the pearl of great price. He's given us great treasures of wisdom and understanding and knowledge of His truth. So as we practice the truth, God will give us perfect peace as we continually focus on Him and on His Son, Jesus Christ. The world is still deceived, and I hope that you've read uh, Mr. Meredith's booklet on Satan's counterfeit Christianity. In that booklet, Mr. Meredith quotes uh, Will Durant. What has professing Christianity done to recapture true values and truth? Will Durant writes, Christianity did not destroy paganism, it adopted it. Uh, Just a very piquant quote, and very true as well. Noted uh, writer G.K. Chesterton wrote in uh, 1910, The Christian ideal, it is said, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. God allows suffering and he allows that because of free moral agency. But we can choose to obey his divine laws for our good. As it says in Deuteronomy 30.19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you 
and your descendants may live. Now, there are ways of applying the truth, and I think that I will save those for another time. We have a responsibility as the ground of truth, the church. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. We've heard this in recent sermons as well. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3:15, But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, or the bulwark of truth. The uh, New American Standard Bible says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. So we are the bulwark. We are the guardians of truth. And that's a big responsibility. In fact, that's I just was listening to a sermon by Mr. Herbert Armstrong here recently, and he was bringing that point out. We are the guardians of truth, he said. So we, brethren, are called to guard the truth and to live the truth. So let's be thankful for that gift of truth. We have a responsibility, and I quoted this from Winston Churchill some years ago, but our young people do have an understanding of God's truth. As you saw from the young teenager in the Philippines at the youth camp, that she realizes that she has the truth and must practice the truth and discern between what's right and what's wrong and be able to resist temptation. That's what all of us should be doing. But Winston Churchill, with regard to responsibility, said this, Come on now, all you young men all over the world. You are needed more than ever now to fill the gap of a generation shorn by the war. You have not an hour to lose. You must take your places in life's fighting line. Twenty to twenty-five. These are the years. Don't be content with such things as they are. The earth is yours in the fullness thereof. Enter upon your inheritance. Accept your responsibilities. That was from uh, his book, Roving Commission, My Early Life. I did give a sermon uh, on that, sermon number 63, on Christian responsibility. So it's an appeal to young people to step out and be bold and to recapture the true values of the abundant life, doing it God's way, Christ's way, and not the world's way, because you have the spirit of truth, not the spirit of the world. We have a mission to accomplish. That mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is to feed the flock. It is to preach the Ezekiel warning of the watchman. It is to restore Christianity, the Christianity of Christ and the apostles, and to restore apostolic Christianity. Just as Mr. Meredith said in the announcements, we are preparing as kings and priests for tomorrow's world. We will teach the world tomorrow, tomorrow's world the truth. There will be unlearning schools, as uh, Mr. Armstrong would uh, would uh, speculate. But we are going to be teachers, it says in Isaiah 30 and verse 20. All nations are going to come up to Jerusalem, and we'll be there to teach them. And how are we going to accomplish that? We're going to accomplish that through God's Spirit. Let's turn to John 14 and verse 6. There are so many scriptures that have to do with truth, or I believe it was 233 
incidences of the word truth in the New King James Bible. And then you add to that true and truthfulness, and you add uh, many more references. But here in John 14, or, well, John 16 and verse 13, God has promised us this tremendous blessing. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So not only does God give us an understanding of truth through the spirit of truth, but also gives us an understanding of prophecy. He will show you things to come. As Mr. Meredith was saying in the announcements, we have that understanding. Not completely, but we do understand the basic sequence of events. We know the uh, dynamics of the various nations and what is going to happen. We know that there is a World War III coming, and already uh, the wars in the Middle East have uh, been labeled as World War III and the terrorism uh, uh, attempts. So we are going to accomplish this mission, not by our own strength, but by God's Spirit, as it says in Zechariah 4 and verse 6. John 8 and verse 31. John 8, verse 31. We know the benefits of God's truth, that it frees us from all of the mysteries and the deceptions of this world. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Again, to practice the true values, to practice the statutes, the judgments, the commandments, the magnification of those in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, brethren, let us seek the truth, let's obey the truth, let's walk in the truth, let's speak the truth, Let's appreciate deeply the truth. Let's worship God in spirit and in truth. May we internalize the Word of God, and may we always, always treasure the truth.